Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, September 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Hurricane Ida evacuees await an uncertain future in Mississippi motels. Then the Supreme Court won't block Texas' six-week abortion ban. And reinforcements arrive for overwhelmed hospitals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As Hurricane Ida descended upon the Gulf Coast, Louisianans flocked northward into Mississippi. The neighborhoods they left behind are now in ruin. Homes flooded, roads blocked, power out. Recovery timelines remain unclear. Desiree Fraser met one family staying at the Econolodge in Jackson. How y'all doing? We making it. Okay. Um, would you tell me your name and spell it for me? Charles, C-H-A-R-L-E-S, Johnson, G-O-H-N-S-O-N. And where are you from? New Orleans, Louisiana. When did you leave to come up? Oh, we didn't leave. When we came here? Tuesday. So we stayed for a while out there just assuming that it wasn't as bad as Katrina, but come to find out the winds were worse. We didn't get the water like we, you know, we everybody expected because it was so bad. I was stuck on Katrina, me and my child. So I, w- I was already frantic. We ended up going to a hotel out there, but they generated and worked. So for at least two days after the storm, we was in heat. What kept you from coming up sooner? Honestly, we didn't think it was going to be as bad. So, I mean, we did leave our house and go to a hotel high up because our house sit low. So, like I said, we were thinking about the water. We weren't thinking about the winds and, you know, the other ramifications of it. We were really just thinking about the water. So we went to a hotel, and for the first day, it was all right. Still had lights. You know, the wind, we dealt with a lot of wind, but, like, later on, it was like, whoa. Everything went off. Everything was flying everywhere. It was it was critical for a minute. Even up, we was on, what, the, like, the third floor. It was still scary. So uh, Tuesday, we stayed after that when the lights went out. We just, I mean, we just toughened it out for a day or two afterwards, but I'm sick. My wife's sick. My, I, like, I can't be without air that long like that, so... We just said, you know what, we're going to gas up and we're going to go. And we couldn't find a gas station, somebody to give us some gas. And we just got on the road and we came out here. Now we called around, they still don't have lights. So now we just spending money that we don't have trying to survive. 
So, I mean, that, that's all we can do right now is pray for the best. So, so when you left your home, was it intact? I mean, we, we did go check. We did go check. And uh, a lot of stuff around there was messed up. Like, we didn't get the water. We got, like, power lines and, you know, uh, all kind of stuff. But our house was pretty much okay. You know, I mean, we lost a lot of food, but everything else was still all right. Clothes, everything was still good, but we couldn't stay. It's how hot it is out here. It's probably worse dealing with that, you know. And then, you, you know, it brings a lot of emotions out you when, when you're dealing with that heat. And, you know, you be trying to keep that away from your family, you know. So we just had to go somewhere we, we can at least breathe better, you know. I mean, the money come and go. You know, we, we going to do what we have to do for now. And how many are here with you? Oh, me, my daughter, my wife, and her cousin and her kids. It's like six, seven of us. Maybe eight, like eight of us. So, Was it tough getting up here? How was the traffic? We caught traffic a couple spots. I mean, but I guess by us leaving out so late, we didn't get as much traffic as we would have if we'd have left earlier. So I, I think it was a blessing that we actually toughened it out for a little while, and then we were able to come. I mean, it took us three hours from New Orleans, but it wasn't bad. But you said getting gas was tough. Yes. Well, uh, my, one of my, the owner of the restaurant I managed, he brought me like six gallons. And I'm glad we got this car. It's not very gas. You know, it, it's very uh, right on gas. So we got them six gallons. We rode all the way here. And when I got here, we just gassed up a little more just in case. So That's nerve-wracking to be on the road and oh. know... Are we going to make it? Do we right. have enough gas? Right. But, I mean, we strong, man. We're going to make it happen. We got to do what we have to do. I mean, it's hard, but we, we I'm just blessed to be alive, man. After going through all the stuff we done been through right now, you know, and people are so nice, they, they try to do what they can to help or whatever, you know. But, I mean, I don't know. They're not paying for the room. we paying for out of our pocket. So, and when, when that money runs, we have no other means. We can't go to work. So, I, I mean, whenever this is over, hopefully everybody still have a job. We still have houses, still have everything. So, I'm just, we living day by day right now. And I hate to put it like that, but that's what we're doing. We can't think about nothing but now right now. So, I mean, but it's a blessing to be here. That's all I can see. When do you think you'll be heading back? Do you even know? We've been checking every day since we've been here trying to see certain spots in New Orleans have lights. See, we stay in Shellmet. But we both work in New Orleans, so it's like my job, they talking like a month where my job is on lights, and certain parts of the city have lights. And it's neither one of the parts is either our job or our house. So it's like it don't make no sense to go drive way back out there because people call and say, oh, they got lights here. But we call the, the uh, owners of the properties, they like, we still don't have no lights. So we just never had to pay them for more days here. We was going to leave tomorrow. But somebody called me last night and said, we have lights. I'm like, all right, we're going to leave tomorrow. Then when my wife wake up, she's like, nah, let me check. And good thing we did before we got back on the road because we'd have been out of luck again. Now, do you have insurance? Yeah, we have insurance, but it's like we rent, but we still have rental insurance. So, you know, but I mean, nothing, nothing kicking in now. It's like, no, you know, everything right now, good thing we had some kind of money to put to the side. I mean, vacation money, but now we have to use the vacation as a staycation for the storm so i mean like i said i'm just blessed to be alive man it's just it's hard and you try to keep the the bad vibes out your kids head and try to make them as comfortable as you can and you know and, and not to think about what we're going through just you know it's, it's hard but i'm glad she's old and it's not the, i don't have no little kids that you know they don't understand she understands so you know most kids oh i want this i want that but you know what we're going through so she knows how to economize the little money we do have and what's her name and how old is she? Rajanae. She's 17. 
She's 17 years old. But she all right, though. As long as she got that phone, she all right. <laughs> she don't worry about nothing as long as she got that phone. How old are you, may I ask? I'm 39. And my birthday is two months. I'll be 40 in November. So Get ready. I'm ready. I I'm, I'm feel like I'm 45 messing with all this. Like I was, what, 19 when Katrina came or something like that? I was in the Superdome with two kids then by myself. You know, we made it, man. I, I like I look at everything as a blessing. If you can survive a lot of things that we've been through, it's a blessing. You know, it's hard, but it's hard to even look at it like that at times like this to still feel like things was a blessing, you know. But, you know, I mean, it's not it's not as easy as a lot of people make it seem. But me having kids and having to be the, the man in the house, and I have to look at it like this. I have to feel like... I could take it on my shoulders or put it on my back because I don't want them feeling like, oh, this is it for us. Or we don't have this. So we going, you know. So everything right now, you have to look forward to making it feel as homely as you can no matter where you at. So we could be in a shelter. We could be going through this. We could be, you know what I'm saying? So everything right now, you have to, you have to blend it. Like I've been teaching her, you have to learn from right now to adapt in the future. So every time you want to spend this or do this, you have to know stuff like this happens quick. Because nobody knew this was about to happen like that. I mean, much as you watch the news and much as you prepare for life itself, but two days wasn't enough to see, well, it's time to go. We got this to go. Like, you know, so, I mean, like I said, it's it just it just crazy. It's wild. It it, it make you emotionally frustrated. Honestly, I'm keeping it together right now. I'm just letting you know. Like, it's not, you know, it's not easy as I'm making it seem. So I don't want to think that, oh, he okay. No, I'm not, but I'm I have to be. That's just what I have to be right now, you know. So, I mean, but we we doing okay. We gonna well, we right. thinking of everybody and praying for everyone that they get back home safe and, you know, get some kind of normalcy. It's going to be time. It's going to take time. But, I mean, we got through Katrina. We going to get through it. Everybody just has to be strong. And uh, I pray for everybody, too, who not as fortunate as other people. I uh, don't have as much finances that other people have because right now we hanging on by a wing and a prayer, but we making it, so. I mean, I just got to thank God that we still here. But I appreciate everything anybody would do or did do. So there we go. We're going to make it happen. Charles Johnson is a New Orleans evacuee staying at a motel in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A new state law in Texas makes abortions illegal after six weeks. The legislation is quirkily constructed insofar as it imposes civil, not criminal, penalties on potential violators. Essentially, it allows private citizens to sue anyone who assists a woman in getting an abortion. The Supreme Court had an opportunity to freeze enforcement of the law. It declined by a 5-4 to four vote. That may well embolden a new explosion of aggressive anti-abortion rights legislation throughout the conservative South. Matt Steffi is a professor at Mississippi College School of Law. There are advocacy groups, think tanks, working to draft these laws, put them in the hands of the legislators with whom they are affiliated. I do not believe that a working group of Texas legislatures put themselves in a room, conference room for weeks or months to come up with the provisions of this law. I think that, like many laws, were originally drafted by a interest group put in the hands of friendly legislators who then introduced them, I would expect a copycat provision to appear the next feasible window in Mississippi and other states, because there's a great political payoff in doing so. These are 
tremendous fundraising and publicity seeking pieces of legislation that in, in addition to whatever sincere desires the proponents have to affect social change. These are also political winners for the proponents. They are political winners for the proponents, even when the law is eventually brushed aside, as many are. That trying brings publicity and fundraising opportunities. And I think we will see a crop of these in the states where you often see them. Mississippi, Alabama, and elsewhere, including. Do you think those states will also copy the civil penalties as opposed to criminal penalties? Well, sure, because why not have both, right? They've already have plenty of laws in the books that provide criminal penalties for abortions, laws that are currently superseded by Roe versus Wade and related authority. So there is, if you actually thumbed through the Mississippi Code, you might be surprised at the number of abortion laws we already have. Some of these are efforts to do something new, to add another tool in the arsenal. Some of them are efforts designed to push ahead the litigation agenda, like the current Mississippi law and like this current Texas law. So it's not either or, it's why not both. But if you've got the votes to do it, there's really no end to the number of abortion statutes one can pass. Uh, We've seen a variety of efforts on this front in Mississippi directed against the one remaining abortion clinic. Uh, They are uh, designed to, uh, to, they are medical regulations designed to drive the clinic out of business, medical regulations designed to drive the doctors out of the state, uh, laws designed to make it more difficult for the woman to exercise her choice, to make it more difficult for the doctors to practice. Uh, This is just one more among many. There have been recent laws to try to forbid certain types of abortions, certain specific surgical practices. And the irony is that there's these deeply invasive laws that regulate the practice of medicine and the exercise of personal autonomy come from the same political allies that vehemently oppose mask and vaccine mandates as too invasive of the privacy of the individual and their medical care. And you understand the difference, right? The difference is this involves uh, potential life or an unborn child. But the techniques are, are, are invasive to a point that in any other context, they would be intolerable. Now, because the U.S. Supreme Court didn't prevent this law in Texas from going into effect, what does that say about the Mississippi lawsuit coming up in the fall? Does well, that... you, you would have to be – the proponents of that lawsuit uh, would have to be encouraged, uh, would have to be encouraged because it's very common for the court to issue an injunction early on to preserve the status – a stay, a, a form of judicial injunction, but to issue a stay of the ruling or to issue a injunction against the law – to preserve the status quo until the litigation runs its course. And I think some of these unusual features of the law, no criminal penalty, no public enforcement, were enough to tip it against a stay. Because a stay doesn't mean, you know, intervention by the Supreme Court early on doesn't mean that the Supreme Court's going to rule in your favor. Sometimes it preserves the status quo, like with the current Mississippi law, 
uh, even when many people expect that law to stand when at, at the end of the day. So what this is, if, if for those challenge for, for those proponents of the Mississippi law at issue before the Supreme Court, they would have to be encouraged. Now, there's always some danger in reading the tea leaves that you overread them. There may be strategic choices by the judges to try to keep controversy contained to the Mississippi case until it's decided. We don't know because the Supreme Court doesn't have to explain its reason not to do something. You, you know, it is not the first time the Supreme Court has declined to intervene. It is not the last. Many people were expecting the court to put the Texas law on hold until the Mississippi case is decided and potentially provides a new legal landscape. And so it will make a chaotic year going forward. I think it will encourage uh, anti-abortion groups to pass similar laws, which will be churning in the background as the Mississippi case works its way to decision. What do you foresee this case looking like? In terms of arguments, how long are we talking for this case to go? The Mississippi case will go in a normal cycle of argument in the fall. Then if tradition stands, there will be a vote after oral argument. If the chief justice is in the majority, the chief justice will either write the opinion or assign it to someone. If the chief justice is in dissent, the most senior next justice, which could be Justice Thomas, will either write the opinion or assign it. Dissent and concurring opinions will surely be written, and those will be exchanged, revised, exchanged and revised. People could change their votes or change their approach until we get a decision at the end of next June. So I, I would expect the Mississippi case might be the very last or in the very last week of this court's term, which runs from the first Monday of October 2021 until the end of June 2022. So I think we're going to see oral argument soon. I think how that oral argument goes may give us some insight into what some of the newer justices are thinking. It may not. If they are active in questioning, it may give us a little insight. Although it's always perilous to guess at how cases going to come out, a, a difficult case like this after oral argument. Uh, and then we'll have eight months of commentators speculating until we get an answer. Matt Steffi is a professor of law at the Mississippi College School of Law. Matt, thank you as always. Always my pleasure, Karen. Coming up, reinforcements arrive for Mississippi hospitals. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. COVID-19 cases remain at a lofty plateau in the state. The Department of Health has just released today's numbers, 3,352 cases, along with 33 new deaths. Federal reinforcements have begun to arrive from Mississippi's overtaxed medical facilities. Kobe Vance speaks with Jason Studley, who's CEO of Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. We're 
expecting 10 nurses, two nurse practitioners, and three respiratory therapists. We have them going through our uh, our human resource department. They're getting orientated, checking competencies, and based off of the skill levels, we're uh, actually assigning it to the different areas uh, to where that could be most uh, effective. And so, like, what kind of areas might they be going towards? They'll be going to the ICU, to our COVID unit, and um, into the emergency room. How are things looking in your ICU these days? Some days we have a bed or two, and other days we're full. Um, it's We're trying to manage those as, as best we possibly can. Now, our COVID unit itself, we've expanded out and have additional same kind of negative pressure rooms and things that we have in the ICU. Uh, so that's good considered a, an additional ICU area. Is there anything else your hospital needs to be able to continue providing the care that y'all would typically provide for your community? We're going to need a lot more uh, healthcare workers, nurses, respiratory therapists. There's a shortage of those in the area. There's a lot of uh, a draw pulling those types of medical personnel out of state uh, to other markets right now. And so it's kind of leaving us in a crunch for just the, uh, the personnel that we need to, to continue serving our community. You're in one of the more vaccinated areas of the state. Have you been seeing differences in like the, the severity of diseases when people do come in? Yes, actually, we have noticed. Uh, we probably see uh, roughly about 100 patients that come to the ED on a daily basis. And we have an after-hours clinic as well, and they're averaging about 100 a day as well. The positive cases we've actually seen from the vaccinated have had less severity and uh, typically are not requiring any kind of hospitalization, which is which has been a tremendous benefit. We're also one of the, uh, the COVID center of excellences here in the state of Mississippi, so we do um, are able to provide the infusions um, quickly uh, administer to the patients and, and help them with their keeping the, the severity level as low as possible, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. So we've actually, with the number of positive cases we've had, with uh, the severity of the, the diseases do not seem to be progressing enough to be hospitalized, especially in those who are vaccinated. How are things going in terms of staffing at your hospital? We were in a staffing shortage before COVID, and we've continued to be in that shortage Um Unfortunately, with no longer having uh, CARES Act funding, our largest uh, issue we face right now is we can't afford the high levels um, that it takes to actually recruit additional staff here. Uh, it's just it's not something that's sustainable um, over the short term or the long term. Is there anything else we might not have touched on that you'd like to share with Mississippians so they can understand like what your hospital is going through right now? Right now, we're in a, uh, a serious crunch with this COVID. However, I, I think one of the areas that the most apprehension is is for the our community are postponing just the regular treatment, the regular cares, uh, visiting the doctors on a regular basis. And so what we're finding is those who are coming to our emergency department, regardless of COVID, they're coming because their chronic conditions have turned acute. They're postponing the care, and that's uh, going to have serious implications uh, for the health of the community on a go-forward basis. We're cleaner, we're safer um, than we, we ever were before, and so we just really would like to encourage uh, community members to not postpone their care and continue uh, having regular checkups with their physicians and, and getting their treatments and moving forward. 
Dr. Jason Studley is CEO of Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. Dr. Studley, thank you for talking with us today. Absolutely. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.